privilege to introduce to you our speaker this morning, Ross Lockwood. Ross is the campus minister with RUF, Reform University Fellowship in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, that's for Western, Car Western Carolina, Western Kentucky. I don't know where that came from. Sorry. Western Kentucky there, the Hilltoppers. I got that right. The, the guys, the mascot that looks like a big red grimace, right? Um, hey. Uh, anyway, so uh, let me explain to you, those who don't know much about what RUF is, is about, and this is a great opportunity just to explain that. Um, Ross, being a campus minister of RUF, is an ordained pastor within our presbytery, the Nashville Presbytery, the presbytery of which we're a part of within the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. The RUF is the official campus ministry of the PCA. And so uh, Ross is uh, seminary trained. He's gone through the, shall I say ordeal? Ordeal, yeah, I shall, of, of licensure and, and ordination and having survived that. Uh, he uh, is now a member of, in good standing within our presbytery, and uh, it's a delight to have you here. My friend, come on up here. Uh, he's with his lovely wife, Ann Todd. They've driven all the way through Russellville, that, yes. that bustling metropolis, and they've made it yeah. here. Thank you, brother. Here. Yeah, great to be here. I think maybe uh, a better word than ordeal is tribulation, um, and uh, that's, that's probably a lot more accurate. It was very, very difficult, but I'm glad it's over. Um, yeah, well, I'm so glad to be here this morning with y'all. Uh, very thankful for this church. Um, even this morning, just been very thankful for how sweet worship has been and very thankful for your prayers. Um, I know that y'all pray faithfully for not only my RUF, but the RUFs in this presbytery, and that means a great deal. And thank you for your support, um, both financial and prayerful support. It means a great deal to us. And it really, the Lord really is using that um, to do great things for his church um, and to bring students to himself on the campuses in this area. So thank you. Very excited to be here. Again, my name is Ross Lockwood. My wife uh, is Ann Todd. She's sitting over there. Ann Todd is a double name, um, Ann Space Todd. And we have a two-year-old uh, boy named Bo. He's playing with some trains in the nursery back there. And uh, I would love to meet you if I've not met you yet. Um, I would love to, to get to know you a little bit um, and just uh, introduce myself to you personally. This morning we're going to be looking in the book of Revelation, which is always, uh, I always feel a little strange when I, when I guest preach and I preach Revelation. Um, just because typically it's not a book <clears throat> I think many of us uh, go to for our quiet times. I think it's often a book that seems a little bit inapproachable. Um, which to me, I think, is a great shame. Um, I think this book really ought to be... Um, I, th I wish that we would be more eager in coming to the book of Revelation and not having so many fears and maybe reservations about going to it, because Revelation actually begins off by saying that this book is meant to bless you. Um, it's the only book in the Bible that actually promises to be a blessing to you if you read it. Um, and I hope this morning that it will indeed be that, that it will indeed be a blessing, and I have confidence that it will. Um, so this morning we're going to be looking uh, specifically in Revelation chapter 4, and what we're going to see is we're going to see an image of the throne room of God. It's going to be very, uh, I think it's going to be very encouraging to us um, this morning as we see it. I'm actually going to begin reading in verses, uh, in chapter 3. I'm going to back up and read chapter 3, verse 20. And then I will read through uh, all the way to verse 11 in chapter 4. So if you will read with me, and then I will pray, and we will ask for God's help this morning as we, as we take in this image of the throne room of God. 
Revelation 3, beginning in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 1 of chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes, all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their thrones before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. Father, um, as I read this text, I am reminded of how small I am and how amazingly holy, holy, holy you are. Father, if we are going to understand this passage, we need your help this morning. And so I pray that by your Spirit you would be with us, and that you would nourish our souls, that you would bless us, and you would do so by showing us Jesus, by revealing Jesus, which is what this book is all about. Father, we need you to do that for us. And if you would, if you would reveal Jesus to us, we would be uh, blessed and our time here would be well spent. So we ask these things in his name. Amen. I want to start off by asking you a question. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Now, I know know you're all thinking, it is 91 days exactly till Christmas. Right, we all know that. Why is Ross asking us about Christmas? Well, because uh, it's time time to begin watching Christmas movies, right? The 100 days of Christmas, right? That's in the how the song goes. We all, watch our, we all begin watching our favorite Christmas movies during this time of the year. 
maybe I'm the only one. But I, I, the reason why is because as I was looking at this passage, I began to think of the movie Home Alone, which is my favorite Christmas movie, and it is unequivocally the best Christmas movie. And the reason why uh, many of you who are younger may not remember it, because you had to to find Home Alone in your house, you have to like search deep for like the VHS, right? You have to like dust off a DHS, and you have to go find a VHS player, which no one has anymore. But I love the movie Home Alone because the movie is just full of chaos the entire time, and I resonate with that. I understand what a life of chaos looks like. But even, you know, if you remember the movie, even before the chaos of um, Kevin having to defend his home from the wet bandits when he's all alone, even before the chaos of that, even before the chaos of his family running through the airport trying to make their airplane to France in time, even before the chaos of all that, the chaos of the opening scene of the movie is this family preparing for Christmas, preparing to go on this trip, and you have this house full of people running all over the place, and it is this insane picture, right, of just a, a, a house with no one in charge, and things are just going rampant. And I love, the, I love that scene because you have this pizza guy show up, right? Y'all remember this scene? This pizza guy shows up, and he's got like a stack of 15 pizzas, and he like walks in the door, and he goes, somebody owes me 128.50, okay? Who is going to pay the 128.50 that I need so I can get out of here and go home for, the, for this holiday season? And like no one is like paying him any attention, right? Like kids are running around, kids are like staring at him like blankly, people are coming by eating pizza, not paying for the pizza, and then this officer, this cop walks in, and who we know eventually is one of the wet bandits, right, one of the bad guys. But he walks in, and he starts asking the question, who is in charge here? Little girl, who's in charge here? Excuse me, sir, do you live here? Who is in charge here? I want to know so I can, under, so I can uh, make sure this place is safe for the holidays. And like no one has an answer, right, until the father finally comes. But I love that question of who is in charge here in the midst of chaos. I think that's a question we often ask ourselves frequently when we experience a chaos in our own lives. And certainly John, who's the author of the book Revelation, certainly would have also asked that same question. Because some of you probably know that the, re the context of Revelation was that it was written around the end of the first century, and the church was experiencing really severe persecution and tribulation. John is writing to a church who is being persecuted and... Uh, it was experiencing severe persecution. Um, the Rome and the rule and the, the the ruler of Rome at this at this moment in time, most commentators will say, was a man named Caesar Domitian, and Domitian had it out for the Christians. And one thing that he would he would do was that for any Christian who would not bow the knee to him and say, Domitian, you are our Lord and God, he would kill them. And he would kill them in really terrible ways. And, and, and this, this happened for a long time. So John was watching his church being persecuted, wondering, where is God? Like how, what is God doing? Why is this man persecuting his church in this way? And not only was the church being persecuted, but remember, according to church history, most of the apostles would have also been killed themselves. So John is alone. He's been exiled on this island. And it looks as if Caesar and Rome was in control of the, of the future of the church. And so it would have been very easy, we can assume, that John would, would have asked the question, 
where is God? Is God ruling or is Caesar ruling? And I don't think that's too hard of a stretch. And I think that's something that we also ask a lot. And this is why I say that. Because two weeks ago, <clears throat> to the, two weeks ago, we celebrated the 15th, uh, not, sorry, we did not celebrate, we remembered um, the 15th anniversary of 9-11, right? And I, I don't, many of you probably remember, if you're old enough, where you were on 9-11. I certainly remember where I was. And I remember the questions that surrounded that day. Do you remember? The questions that went on in the news and in the media and in, your, in our friends and our families was, how could God allow this to happen? How could God allow these things to happen to our nation? How could God allow such terror and injustice happen? Where is God? Is God going to do something about this? And those, that's not just a question we asked 15 years ago. Even this past summer, right, we saw lots and lots of injustice happen in our nation. In Dallas, in New Orleans, in Minneapolis. We see it time and time again on the news. Every time I turn on the news, I see incredible injustice happen. And I ask, how could God allow these things to happen? Is God really on the throne? Is God going to do something? Right? This is a question we often ask, whether we realize it or not, when we turn on the news and watch the things about the election. Right? Because every time, every time I'm with anybody and they talk about the election that's, that's coming up, people are terrified about what's going to happen if this presidential candidate or this candidate becomes office. And they fear like, the, the world is going to come to an end if so-and-so becomes president or whatever. But really what they're saying is, I don't believe that God is in control of the future of this country or in the future of this world. So the question that I think this text is inviting us to ask is, who is on the throne of this world? Who is in control? And John gets an answer by seeing two things. I just have two points um, this morning. John gets an answer to that question by looking at the throne and by looking at the door. I'm not sure if you picked up on it, but the throne is kind of a big deal in this passage. In 11 verses, it is mentioned 12 times. And in the previous verses that I read, it was, it was mentioned two more times. It's like just constantly over and over and over again, the throne, the throne, the throne, the throne. And what John is wanting you to see is that this throne is amazing, right? I'm not going to go into all the details and try to explain away, because I think part of what Revelation does is it, it it sort of wants you to be overwhelmed by the pictures that it gives you. And what, but what we see is that this throne is absolutely amazing, right? There's a rainbow around it that has the appearance of an emerald. There's lightning and thunder emanating from it. There's these amazing creatures that are surrounding it, these four living creatures that are terrifying. And there's 24 elders surrounding this throne. This throne is, is amazing. But who, who, who are... Um, these creatures and these elders. I just want to look at this, take a, a little quick picture uh, or maybe explanation of, of these 24 elders and those four living creatures. Um, and most commentators will note that these 24, uh, these 24 elders who are surrounding this throne, that represents the church. Now, how, how, how does this represent the church? Well, one of the keys to understanding Revelation uh, is maybe the key to understanding Revelation is that <clears throat> the the book of Revelation is is a is a testament to what the Bible has already said, and this is what I mean by that. There are 404 verses in Revelation, 
And in those 404 verses, there are 538 references to previous scripture. And so when we read Revelation, the question we should constantly be asking is, where have I seen this before? Like, where, where are these images, where have these images showed up before in the Bible? Now, 24 doesn't really show up a whole lot in the Bible, but 12 and 12 show up, right? You have the 12 tribes of Israel, the, which represent the, all, all the Old Testament people of God, and we have the 12 apostles, who represent the New Testament people of God. So most commentators will say that these 24 elders actually is like a divine session of a church, but the church is the whole church. That these 24 elders represent all the people of God. So basically surrounding this throne is the representative of the entire church bowing down and worshiping the one seated on the throne. But who are these four living creatures, right? That is not quite, uh, in all the commentaries I've looked at, um, this is more debated. I actually have a friend who in seminary wrote a, wrote a paper on this passage, and he looked at 21 different commentaries trying to figure out who these four living creatures were, and he came up with four different, 21 different interpretations. Okay? So it's hard for me to stand up here and tell you this is exactly who they are. But remember, <clears throat> the way that we approach Revelation is by asking the question, where have I seen this before? And if you remember, the phrase living creature, living creature, living creature, living creature is, is said over and over and over again in this passage. Well, that language, living creature, shows up at the very beginning of the Bible when God is creating all the living creatures. And so what I think what we see is not only is the whole church surrounding the throne room, but the representation of all of creation. All of creation will bow down, is bowing down before this throne. This throne is amazing, but even more amazing than the throne itself is the one who's seated on it. This throne is occupied, right? As amazing, as beautiful as these images are, there is someone who is seating, who is sitting on this throne. And if you, what is probably even the most amazing part um, when you look at this passage, is not only is someone sitting on the throne, but before the one sitting on the throne, verse 6, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. Now what does that mean? Well, some of you might remember or know that the, the term for the sea often is a representation of chaos, right? At the very beginning of the Bible, um, when, there, when the world was without form and void, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation, symbolizing that the world was, was, it was chaos. And later on in Revelation, a beast, a terrible beast, is going to come out of the sea. So what we see is that this, uh, the term the sea is often in, indicative of chaos, turmoil. But notice, around this throne, around the one who is seated on the throne, the sea is like glass, like crystal. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever been to the beach before or ever seen the ocean. I've never seen an ocean calm as glass. Even on the most like, calm days at the beach, there are still ripples and waves, right? even if they're very small. But before this God on this throne, the sea is like crystal clear. So I think what we're seeing is an image of a, a God who is so in control, who is so powerful, who is so amazing, who's sitting on this throne, 
that all chaos, all turmoil in the world and in your life is nothing to him. He's got it. And friends, I think that is probably the hardest thing for us to believe. That there is a God who is sitting in the throne room of heaven who has everything under control. The things that seem like most chaotic, the things that seem most turmoil, that he, he has it. And I know that because I know that for some of us in here, there are things that make us feel very anxious. We, I'm sure that in a room this big, there are many of us who come to this room who are distracted and who are afraid, who are feeling anxious about the future, maybe feeling anxious about uh, your job situation, maybe feeling anxious about this upcoming election, maybe feeling very nervous and very afraid about some of the relational dynamics going on in your life, with your family, with your friendships, with the relationships. Those things can seem chaotic, and it can make us ask, who is going to make these things right? Is anyone in control of these very difficult things going on in my life? But friends, God is on the throne. He's on the throne, and your chaos is nothing to him. He's not frantically walking back and forth. He's not sweating. He's not pacing the room. He's sitting, and he is in control. And I think that what makes us anxious and what makes us afraid is that we often forget that he is on the throne, and we want to believe that we should be there instead. We often forget that there is a God who is sitting on, on the throne. And we, when you begin to put either yourself on the throne, or when you look and the throne is empty in your imagination, that's when your world will begin to crumble. That's when everything around you will seem hopeless. I know for most of our anxieties, it's this feeling of, I am powerless to the chaos that's going on in my life. But friends, I think a real remedy is to realize that there is a God who is powerful over all the chaos in your life. So my question to you this morning is, who do you imagine is on the throne? Who do you put there? Is anyone there? What dreams have you put on the throne? What job have you put on the throne? What hopes have you put on the throne? Is God sitting on the throne? Yes. So do you, Matt, do you, do you recognize that? Now, if you're paying attention, you might be asking, yeah, that's great, but how do I know this God is for me? How do I know that I'm not part, how do I know that he's not bringing chaos in my life to punish me? Or how am I even allowed to approach this God? If God is this holy, this amazing, this powerful, how could I have anything to do with him? Because really, when you look at this image, one of the first things that should come to your mind is, I don't belong in this throne room. <laughs> I do not belong here. Um, I, I, if, I don't know if you're able to, to feel that, but I feel that every time I walk into a fraternity house, okay? Um, forgive me for uh, you illustrating the throne room of God with a fraternity house, but every time I walk into a fraternity house, I immediately feel like I don't belong here. I was never in a fraternity. I, have, I don't really understand these people. I don't understand this context. I'm nerdy. I'm a loser. These people know I'm a loser. I have nothing to, I do not belong here. But what's interesting is I actually do belong there because there's a couple of students who are in these fraternities that I know who are my friends, and they bring me in there. So even though I don't belong there, I still have been invited, right? And so I kind of do belong. 
And if that's true for like a stinky, gross fraternity house, friends, how much more true must this have to be for the throne room of God? We have to be invited here. Someone who does belong there must invite us if we're going to have anything to do with this God who's on this throne. And I think that is the second image that John sees because he doesn't just see the throne. If you back up to verse 1, what's the first thing he sees? A door. He sees a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which is Jesus, speaks to him like a trumpet, says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. What he sees is a door standing open and Jesus pulling him into this throne room, saying, come up here and look at this God. I'm going to show you something amazing. You see, Jesus has to, and he does, invite us if we're going to come into this throne room. And he does. He does so by pulling us through the door of heaven. But what's really interesting is, in another book that John writes, in the Gospel of John, Jesus actually says that he is the door. That no one can come to the Father except through him. And so Jesus, as the door, the pathway to God, invites us to the throne room. He makes it possible for us to come into the presence of this God. And he invites us in. And what's even more amazing is back in chapter 3, which I don't think it's in your bulletin, but if you have a Bible, in verse 21, he says this, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Friends, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I do not know what that means. <laughs> that, God, that Jesus is inviting us in to sit with him on his throne. But I do know this, that that is amazing. That Jesus, who belongs on this throne, left his throne to conquer for us so that we could somehow have access to this throne room. And remember, Jesus belongs here, Right? But Jesus gave up this throne room for you. Many of you probably know the passage in Philippians 2 where it says, He who, um, he who was in the form of God did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, becoming this form of a servant, and, taking, and even serving so much to the point of death and death on a cross. Right? Jesus, who belongs on this throne room, gave up everything everything, to come down, to become a servant, and to die for you and for me. He made himself nothing and took on death to win you, to conquer death and to conquer your sin so that you can come have access to this God. And friends, (laughs) If he gave all that up for you, how much more will he not also give all things to you? It's like we said this morning from the, from the passage in Romans 8.31 that we heard, where it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Friends, those things that are just in your life that you feel like these things are out of control. My life feels like a mess. My relationships with my family feel like a mess. I'm terrified of the future. Friends, 
if God sent His own Son to leave this throne to die for you, to give you, to give you Him, how much more will He not take care of those things you are terrified of? How much more will He not give you all things in Christ? And more than that, if Jesus loves you this much, what could possibly separate you from His love? If you are this valuable to Him, that He would leave this to win you, what possibly could separate you from that? Because you never belonged here. You never belonged in this throne room. There was nothing you ever could have done to have earned your way to the throne. Nothing. I don't care how good you are, how many Bible studies you've done, how many Bible studies you've led, how perfect you think you are, no person could ever have approached this throne room. But Jesus invites you and in chapter 5 of Revelation, in the, next, in the very next chapter, we see that the reason why is because this Jesus was also a lamb who ransomed people by his blood, who bought you. And now because of that, the same song that is sung to the God on the throne is sang to the lamb, where it says, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Friends, I know all of us, not only do we experience chaos, but we're also part of the chaos, right? Like, not only are there things going on that seem unjust, and things that are scary, and things that are difficult, but we also contribute to that. And Jesus says, I died for it. I died for you. I bled for you. I became a perfect sacrifice so that you could draw near. You are mine. I paid for you. Um, I'm going to end with this, <clears throat> with this thought. You know, if you, if you ever wanted to, say, have lunch with me or with, with uh, Richard, <clears throat> it probably would be about as simple as sending a text message saying, hey, can we grab coffee, right? Is that about as easy? Yeah, more or less. Um, you know, I, I, like, most of the time, I have to like, beg my students to go get coffee with me. Like, please let me be your friend. Um, and they're like, no, you're weird. I don't, I don't know what to do with you. Um, I'm like, I know. But, so if you, like, wanted, but if you wanted to have a relationship with me, it seriously would be as simple as just like talking to me or sending me a text message. But if you wanted to have a relationship with, say, oh, John Calipari, um, who, if you don't know, I think is the basketball coach at Kentucky. Um, it's probably not quite as easy as that, right? You couldn't just send a text message like, hey, John, let's grab coffee. And, like, no. Like, if you're going to have coffee with, with, uh, with, with Mr. Calipari, he's going to have to, like, pencil you in, right? It's going to be a little more difficult. He's going to have to, like, travel farther. He's going to make time for you. But if you wanted to have coffee or lunch with the President of the United States. How much more would that even be difficult? Like, there's no way you could ever approach the President of the United States and just have a relationship with him unless he absolutely, like, humbled himself enough to get on Air Force One, bring his whole, like, entourage of whoever that, that travels with him. He's going to have to, like, pencil you in specifically, and, like, there will be people all around, like, w waiting for him to show up. Like, it's going to be a big deal. And you can't just make that happen. 
He would have to make that happen. And friends, what I want you to see is how much more than with a relationship with God. And yet that was exactly what he did. He gave up everything to have a relationship with you, to invite you in, to, have, to be able to approach this throne knowing that you are invited to see and experience the love of this God who gave up everything for you to win you. I think that's good news. I think this morning, the way I want to end is by reading a passage in Hebrews 4. And wherever you are this morning, <clears throat> whether, you, um, whether you've been a, a, a Christian for as long as you can imagine, or whether you're unsure about this whole Christianity thing, I hope that you will hear this passage as an invitation. An invitation to come before this God and receive grace. Hebrews 4, verses 15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Dear Father, this is good news, that you are truly way holier and way bigger than we could ever imagine. But you are also way more gracious and loving and kind to us than we would ever dare dream. So much so that you sent your Son to die for us so that we could receive mercy and grace from you. Father, help us to believe that. Help us to believe that you love us this much, that you are in control of all the chaotic things in our life, and that you love us, and that you will take care of us, that you have us, because you bought us with your blood. We thank you for this good news, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.